many of you might have a family Bible? Probably lots of the families represented here this morning do have a, a family Bible. I have a preacher friend who calls those uh, the KJV-CTE. Can you imagine what that means? He calls them the KJV, King James Version, CTE, Coffee Table Edition. <laughs> because that's usually what happens with those things. They get placed on a coffee table somewhere and serve more as decoration than they do actually to be read and used for Bible study. If you have one of those family Bibles, there's almost cer- certainly in the Bible a page something like this where you record important family events, you know, like uh, uh, births and uh, deaths and marriages and all that sort of thing. And so a family Bible is used sometimes more sort of for ancestry purposes than it is for actual Bible study. We've got our Bibles that we carry around and read, but the coffee table edition, the family Bible, sits there and serves more as a sort of a family heirloom. Well, when you stop to think about it, really... Not only that Bible that sits on the coffee table, but really every Bible is already supplied with a lot of family records. For instance, all of our Bibles have the history of Adam's family, have the history of Noah's family, have the history of Abraham's family, have the history of David's family. We have a lot of family records in our Bible. Before we ever stop to pencil in our own family records, there's a lot in there already. We want to, this morning, for just a few minutes, study one such family record. We want to study uh, the story of the rich man whose account is in Luke chapter 16. And I'd like to take just a minute to read that familiar text together. So if you will, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 16 and read with me beginning in verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, and now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there's a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the grave, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. I think you know that story well. Uh, we want to concentrate, especially this morning, on the rich man and his family relationships. I think it's an interesting family record. Before we go further into this study, let me stop for a minute to thank everyone for being present this morning. We're very glad that you're here. What a beautiful morning in Middle Tennessee. Uh, it's a great privilege to be able to assemble together to worship God, to offer honor and praise to Him 
but also to be encouraged and edified ourselves. And so, thank you for being here to be part of that. We have visitors with us this morning, as we often do, and we're so grateful for your presence, and we hope you'll come back every time you have a chance. And we're always open to your questions. We'd be especially excited to have an opportunity to engage in more thorough Bible study with you if you're interested in that. If we can help, let us know. Thanks to everyone for being here this morning. Let's talk about this family that is described in the verses which we just read. The first thing that I would point out is that this was a a big and rich family. There were six brothers in all. There was this one man, the rich man that the story is about, but there were five other brothers, as we just read. And, of course, in that time, but I think also in our time, the idea of having a big family is a great blessing. It was especially so back then. This was a big family. And on top of that, at, uh, apparently they were well off financially. At least one of the brothers had done very well. When we go back to those verses in Luke chapter 16, notice that he was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And so he had all the trappings of wealth and prosperity. I can't ever read this text without remembering years ago when a fellow got up to do the Bible reading and he was reading this Luke 16 account of the rich man and Lazarus. The King James Version says there he fared sumptuously every day. When this fellow read it, he read it, he fared scrumptiously every day. Well, he probably did, because he was a rich man, and he had all the things that go with riches. He had all of the fine uh, accessories. He had the best of food. Everything was good in that way. Wealth, of course, back then as today, was considered to be the ultimate. You know, that was the ultimate thing, to have wealth. But to this man that we're studying this morning, and to many who are living today, great prosperity turns out to be a snare. It is a terrible mistake to trust in riches. This man apparently did. He was trusting in his riches, and he gave no thought to God. That was, that was his downfall. For us, there have never, there's never been a time and there have never been a people as financially and materialistically prosperous as we are. And therefore, we have got to certainly be on our guard not to make the same mistake that this man made. He trusted in his riches. He paid no attention to God. In the passage that Mark read for us just a few minutes ago, we're warned about materialism. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Beginning verse 6, godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich, notice not just those who are rich, but they who will be or desire riches, fall into temptation and a snare and to many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Again, I would simply stress to us who live in this prosperous day and age that we have got to be on guard against the dangers of materialism and covetousness because it can bring us down. Just as this rich man suffered because he trusted his riches, that might very well happen to us. And so this family we're studying this morning was big, it was rich, but of course we know that this family was visited by death. As that account in Luke 16 goes on, it describes the death of Lazarus the beggar and the rich man. Notice, it's kind of interesting, 
Notice when it says the beggar, Lazarus died, he was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom, but the rich man, it says, died and was buried. And some have wondered, does that contrast suggest that poor Lazarus was in such poverty that no one even took care to bury him? I don't know if you could draw that conclusion. It doesn't mention his burial. It mentions his death, but not his burial. The rich man, though, died and was buried. And so, this rich large family was visited by death. We're not surprised by that, of course. That's not an unusual thing. That happens, of course, to all and to every family, whatever their economic status may be. You know, we even have an expression, don't we? Uh, two things certain are death and taxes. Well, that's certainly so. Death is going to happen. It will happen to us. Uh, and it will happen to our family members, and it will happen to loved ones. In Hebrews chapter 9, Verse 27, it says, Hebrews 9, 27 says, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. Now, since death is a reality, just as the rich man died, we will die. The story tells us that there are some things that ought to be changed then if we really comprehend that. If you know that you're going to die and face judgment. The, notice, the, the poor beggar, Lazarus, he died. The rich man. He died. Everybody's going to die unless we're still living. When the Lord returns, all will experience death. It is pure foolishness to ignore that reality. To go along in our lives acting and thinking as though it could never happen to me. Of course it will happen to you. Death is inevitable. And we must make preparations for that reality. We know, of course, that Jesus is the way to prepare. That we must come to the Lord through His Son, Christ Jesus, in faith and obedience, as we were discussing in our Bible class just a few minutes ago. And so, this family had, if they had a family Bible, of course they didn't in that time, but they would have recorded there on the side that says death, they would have put this man's name down. Now, what else do we know about this family? Well, we know that they had one member now who is already in torment. And so, when the rich man died, notice... It says that he was in such torment where he was, he begged that Lazarus could be sent. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. I just wonder if you could imagine being in such agony that the thought of relief to you would be just a drip of water on your tongue. That's hard to comprehend, isn't it? But that's what it will be like if we die unprepared to meet God. The torment will be of that nature, just that intense. And so, the first thing we know uh, now after his death is that he is in this place of punishment and pain. Notice, though, Lazarus is not. Uh, it says, in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. Uh, this, by the way, as we've pointed out many times, where it says hell there, uh, should read Hades. He's not in ultimate hell, but he's in the torment part of Hades. Hades is that uh, abode of departed spirits. In Hades, there are two realms. There's the realm of comfort, Abraham's bosom. Jesus called it paradise. Then there's this place of torment where the rich man was. And so in Hades, he lifted up his eyes. He was in terrible torment. And he sees Lazarus in Abraham's bosom in a place of comfort. 
It's interesting to me that the rich man recognized Lazarus. He knew who he was, even called him by name. Sometimes there's this question asked, will we recognize one another in the world beyond, after death? Will we recognize one another? It's an interesting study, and there's lots of things that might be uh, added to that consideration. But just from this text, the, cl- the conclusion seems to be, yes, we will recognize one another beyond the grave. The rich man recognized Lazarus and called him by name. Now, the contrast. Here he was in such terrible agony that he just hoped for one drop of water to cool his tongue. But yonder he could see, in great contrast, here's this poor beggar Lazarus who had nothing in life, but now is in a place of comfort and consolation. That contrast had to really stand out, and it had to be something that added uh, to the torture that he was experiencing, to know that he could have been there, but he isn't. Lazarus is there, and he's here in this place of torment. Then, of course, he had the additional trauma of remembering. Abraham said to him, Son, remember. And so he had to think back on his own life, on his wasted opportunities. Abraham says, remember how life was spent, how you spent your life. You spent your life without ever thinking of God or serving Him or putting your trust in Him. Remember that now. You had a chance. You wasted your opportunity uh, to be here where Lazarus is. I've got to think that in eternity, one of the things that will really multiply the pain and suffering that, that the lost will endure is the is the remembrance of the of their lives on earth and the fact that it didn't have to be this way it didn't have to end up this way for all of us let's spend a moment remembering our lives now before it's too late because later we will remember our lives but it will be too late remember is the key word there He's told that his situation is irreversible. Uh, he's, when he asks Lazarus to come down and cool uh, his tongue with a drip of water, uh, he is told by Abraham, besides all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Once our life is over... Our eternal fate is sealed and it's unchangeable. Now, remember, we've, as we've studied this text before, we, we believe that the rich man and Lazarus were in Hades, the, the realm of departed spirits. They, were, they are there waiting for the resurrection. In the resurrection, the graves will open, the dead will come forth, their spirits will be rejoined with their renewed physical bodies, but then final judgment will occur uh, and heaven or hell will be the outcome. So, the rich man wasn't in eternal hell yet, but it's clear that he would be in the final judgment. And his situation was irreversible. It was too late. It could not be changed. Our Catholic friends have a doctrine that they teach that I think is invented in mind, the idea of purgatory. That there's sort of an intermediate place where you might go. If you've been real good or real bad... You might not end up in torment or comfort. You might end up in an intermediate state of purgatory. And if people still living on earth offer gifts and prayers in your behalf, you might be able to 
move on up, so to speak, and get a better status uh, in the eternal world. No, that's not in the Bible. What's in the Bible is what Abraham told the rich man. Your status now is unchangeable. It cannot be altered. We need to know that as well. He seemed really troubled by the idea that he couldn't do anything to warn or save his family. He said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. Um, he understood he couldn't go now. But it would have been possible, could you send Lazarus so that he would go? I've got brethren there. Please send Lazarus to warn my brothers. I will tell you, for all of us, if we were to end up in this terrible place of torment where the rich man went, we would long for a chance to warn. Parents would want to warn their children. Families would want to warn their loved ones. Friends would want to warn their friends, don't come here. Don't do what I did. Make preparation. Well, of course, that warning can't be given. I can't, uh, if I'm there, I can't give the warning. And so what it tells me is, let me make that warning now. Let me tell my family. Let me tell my friends. Let me tell all that I have a chance to, 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 to share these facts with. Warn them about death and judgment and punishment if you are unprepared. Do the warning now. It will be too late to warn later. Now's the time to think about these things and to do something about it. To change your own life in preparation. To help others be warned and advised to change their lives in preparation. This is, this is not something to take lightly. You know, some people dispute whether the story of rich man Lazarus is a parable or a true event. I really don't think it matters because Jesus wouldn't tell an un, wouldn't tell an untruth even if it was a parable. If it's a parable, it's an unusual one because it actually names the characters involved. It's not identified as a parable. And it's different from other parables. If it's, if it's a parable, it's different than others. Again, I don't think it necessarily matters. The, the, the point that is being taught is real, and we need to understand. This is not to be taken lightly. If you were to end up in the place where the rich man was, you will know all the same things as he knew. You will know pain and punishment. You will remember your own lifetime's wasted opportunities. You will realize that there's no life into the tunnel, that your situation is irresistible. You'll want to warn others then, but it will be too late to do so. Do you suppose that those same things might torment you in eternity? They will, if you die unprepared as the rich man did. And so this family, this big rich family, was visited by death, and now they had one family member already in torment. But the fact of the matter is they also had five more who were on their way to torment. Sometimes I think we imagine that we can keep our sins hidden and that others won't know about them. But in this case, the brother admitted that his, that his siblings still on earth were also sinners in need of repentance. In verses 28 through 31, he says, I have five brethren that sin that he may testify to them lest they also come to this place of torment. Well, think about that for a minute. Uh, he said they, uh, Moses, uh, he's, Abraham said they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, nay, Father Abraham, but if one went to them from the dead, they will repent. Notice, he knew 
that they needed to repent. Their sins weren't hidden from anybody. He, he well knew that just like him, his brothers needed to repent. This man wanted to, uh, wanted to keep them from coming to where he was. Someone one time used an expression that I thought was quite amazing here. We have the disposition of a soul winner in Hades. Can you imagine that? He's lost himself, but he doesn't want anybody else to be lost. Uh, if you were there, you wouldn't want anyone else to go there either. And you would do whatever you could to warn them, uh, to urge them to repent. Our sins are known. Uh, we're not hiding our sins. Typically, we're not hiding our sins from others. We're certainly not hiding our sins from God. We need to repent and make our lives right. There are no unbelievers in hell. None who are too busy to pay attention to God. There are none who are indifferent to spiritual matters. After death, all will be aware. And so, while one was already in torment, five more were on their way. One more thing that I would add about this family. Big, rich, visited by death, one in torment, five more headed that way. But the fact of the matter is that that rich man and his brothers had every opportunity to be saved. Go back there to those verses. Notice when he urges, send Lazarus. Abraham says no. He says they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And so they had the testimony of Moses. And they had the testimony of all those famous prophets of the Old Testament that we admire so much. This would have been enough if they would listen to those prophets. They could be spared from that horrible, torturous eternity. They had Moses and the prophets. And Abraham's get the gist of this. Abraham says... They have enough. They have Moses and the prophets. Think about us. We have a lot more than that, don't we? We don't just have Moses and the prophets. We have what James chapter 1, verse 25 calls the perfect law of liberty. We have what Romans chapter 1, verse 16 describes as the power, the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation. We have more than they had. And so... We have plenty. If you want to make preparation for eternity, all the information you need is readily available. We have God's complete and final revelation to mankind. Learn it. Obey it. And so, Abraham basically says they have enough with Moses and the prophets. And if that was enough, think about how much more we have. The rich man asked for more. He said, if one went to them from the dead, they will repent. Well... Abraham's answer to him was, no, they won't. Even if one raises from the dead, they won't. That wouldn't have done the trick either. Notice, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead, was Abraham's answer. Now again, I just want to encourage you to think about this for a minute. We have that, don't we? We have one who raised from the dead. Uh, Lazarus wanted that for, I mean, uh, excuse me, the rich man wanted that for his brothers. Send someone. If one rose from the dead, they'll pay attention to that. Abraham said, I don't think they will. Well, what about us? We have that. We have more than Moses and the prophets. We have God's completed revelation in the New Testament. And we have one who has risen from the dead. And yet today, there are still many who will not believe and react. What about you? With all that you have, with every opportunity that's been afforded to you, will you take the advantage of the situation that you're in so that your soul can be saved. 
Well, this family wrote its history, and we have record of it in our Bibles. Your family history is being written too. In that family history, what will be recorded about you? Have you seen what is really important in life? Have you made spiritual things a priority? Have you obeyed God in preparation for death and judgment? Your family history is being written, and your history is being established. Are you ready to meet God? If you've never obeyed the gospel, we would urge you to do that. The simple gospel plan of salvation is hear the truth, believe it, repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus, be baptized for the remission of sins. We'd be glad to assist you in your obedience this morning. We'd be glad to study with you more. If you need that, let us know how we can help. If you're a Christian already, but you've fallen away, understand that you are in danger of that same terrible, torturous end that the rich man experienced. If you're a Christian, but you're not right with God, we urge you to come back to Him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song.